The F Word at Work from Fertility Matters at Work is a conversation about fertility and how it affects people at work. You'll be hearing conversations from our community about what they experience when trying to build their families, as our aim is to help you better understand this issue by sharing these stories, along with our own insights from the work we are doing. Plus, we'll be talking to the organisations making these cultural changes the norm, as well as bringing you thought leaders from the workplace wellbeing space. Coming out is probably one of the, certainly when you're of my generation, one of the most difficult things that you ever have to do in life. Less so for millennials and Generation Z, but but certainly my generation. So anyone that's sort of 35 plus, because that was quite painful potentially. And then having to do that at, at work in an environment which sometimes isn't closed and not private. And you may not be out at work. You know, we're supporting several couples where they're in businesses that they're not out. So welcome to another episode of The F Word. And I realised after sharing the last episode with you that I was recording in what is my new office, which is a conservatory in my house, which is very glass. And I hadn't listened at all to how my podcast mic sounded. And you may not have noticed, but I listened back thinking it sounded awful. So today I'm talking to you in my voiceover booth. Hopefully I will sound so crisp and clear and exactly how I want you to hear me. If you've noticed nothing at all, then it's irrelevant what I'm sharing with you. But I'm going to welcome one of my co-founders, Claire, today. Claire is going to give her thoughts on the F Word at Work chat that we're sharing. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Are you? I'm good. Claire and I are speaking on Sunday afternoon. And to give you, well, Sunday evening, to give you behind the scenes, I've had my parents around for, we had a venison shepherd's pie that my husband made. It was very indulgent. I've also had several glasses of red wine and Claire has had 14 days of not having any wine. So she's glowing on the screen. I'm <laughs> maybe saying the odd little stumble. So bear with me. No, I'm absolutely fine. Um, I don't want to digress. What I want to do is just explain what you're going to hear because we're going to be sharing the experience of Mike Johnson Ellis, who is one half of Two Dads UK, My Surrogacy Journey and founder of the Modern Family Show with his partner, Wes. Now, the pair of them have been doing incredible work raising awareness of UK surrogacy and the many hurdles that people have to overcome. They've lobbied parliament, they've created their membership community and they support so many people and it's so amazing the work that they do and we're delighted to be partnering with them. However, Mike wasn't treated very well during his time in the corporate world when he chose to talk about his parenting plans and that's what you're going to hear him explain. We'll hear more about it in just a sec but before we do, Mike is actually the person who introduced me to Claire. So I I wanted to have Claire share her thoughts on this F word at work, which you're about to hear. But before we do, Claire, I'm going to ask you to set the scene as to how you met Mike. Mike and I met when I was in my first NHS trust, um, I think around 2013, 2014. And he worked um, for an agency that supplied our trust with nurses. And it was really interesting because he tried to get into our trust. He wasn't a supplier at the time. And he, he and I used to chat quite regularly. And I remember him coming in for a meeting. And I remember speaking to him about, it must have been 2014, because that's when his him and Wes got married, just thinking about okay. it backwards. And, and yeah, we, he was telling me that he was using a surrogate to have a baby. 
Yeah. I remember exactly where I was. I was just letting him out of the office and it's a, a security door. So I had to let him out. And we were stood talking at the door with me holding the door open quite wide for quite a considerable amount of time. Still remember it really clearly. Because he likes to talk, doesn't he, Mike? <laughs> and so do so you. So do I. <laughs> so that was the start of the relationship. And yeah. let's hear from Mike. And then I'm going to come back to Claire because Claire's been doing some amazingly important work with Mike and Wes and their intended parents. And I want her to explain a bit more about that after you've heard Mike's experience. Now, before we get into this episode, we just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors for this series, Apricity, which is next generation fertility. And Apricity has a unique virtual model that uses AI innovation and technology to reimagine fertility care. Now, to explain that, the technology Apricity use is through their virtual model. So they have virtual consultations and specifically their bespoke treatment app really guides and supports patients and their partners through their journey. So they never miss an injection. They have instant access to their medical team and a dedicated advisor seven days a week. Apricity offers family building benefits to employers, health plans and individual patients and this goes from diagnostic testing to full fertility management, including medical treatments such as IVF, egg donation, and egg freezing. Apricity helps build families by providing access to the best doctors, technology, and unlimited support. Now, the Apricity Fertility Benefit can be bespoke, designed for your company, for either flexi benefit, cash allowance, or through your PMI. And you can discover how Apricity can support your employees just by visiting apricity.life. So I was working in London, so I didn't have the comfort of working from home like I do now, and or working for myself rather. So I was working for a big organisation, and a very you know, toxic masculinity was was something that was real. It wasn't a phrase that I was aware of, but it was it was front and centre and present. Me and my husband, we got married in 2014, and and the subject of wanting a family was 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 discussed quite early on and surrogacy for us was our go-to method to have our family so after we'd spent our time researching the topic the point came where I would need to speak to my employer because as as you all know or those that are learning when you're on this journey the amount of times you have to be tested your bloods you know your gametes you know going in for certain checks then yeah our clinic was in Manchester my work was in London, I lived in the West Midlands, so I was in the middle of, of both work and clinic. Um, and as well, we were supporting our surrogate, so we also wanted to be there for her appointments too, and, and you know, there's scans, there could be bloods, there's obviously embryo transfers. So we were uh, impacted, I guess, by all of the appointments, and having that conversation very early on with my employer didn't go great really there were a few things that were discussed and some of them came from my boss some of them from other managers and one of the lasting areas that stood out for me were you know why why are you doing this um we're really busy right now um surely you don't want time off work when all this happens and someone commented that i had committed career suicide and someone also mentioned that men don't do this. Why, why, do you, why do you want time off with a baby? Men just don't do this. And I was working for an organisation where I was the only gay person there in quite a big organisation in, in that particular London office. And they had an experienced a member of the community, LGBTQ community, 
having a baby, certainly not a man wanting to have, you know, six to nine months off then with their newborn. That was just unheard of. And the lack of support not only was from my immediate sort of circle, but our own HR department also struggled to, to support me because surrogacy was still very new to them and policy didn't exist that supported people that were undergoing surrogacy. So that was also, you know, shared parental leave was very, very new as a, as a piece of legislation. Um, and certainly my employers didn't understand it. So knowing what you know now and looking back then, what would have helped at that time? Most definitely my employer understanding fertility treatment and how grueling that is, how time consuming it can be, how that it's not a social choice was something else that was said, well, you've chosen to have kids this way. You know, you need to take leave for these appointments. That was another thing that was I was reminded of, you know, that understanding of what not only my community, but infertility generally looks like. My employer had no clue of what infertility looks like. And that would have really helped my employer rather than every question I asked, it was a call to ACAS. And I understand that when knowledge isn't there, you've got to do something to get there. And I'm glad that they at least sought advice, but there was no specialist advice like what, what you ladies are doing now. That didn't exist. And that would have made the whole process less stressful and certainly less painful for me. Um, I was doing the educating of my employer whilst trying to work and attend my appointments and be a husband. It was it was grueling. And you're learning on the go, because as we were talking just before we, we, we started this chat, we, you had Tallulah, your, your, your first um, child six years ago, mm -hmm. and the information wasn't what it is now so you're trying to find it out and then relay it back for them to offer you some kind of emotional support and that emotional support I know is a huge factor for all of us going through it but I know it's something that over your experience as well you've been quite honest about the impact that that's had mm. at the time that you were still in the corporate space I think you've been more open about that impact maybe since you've been working for yourself so maybe it's been slightly easier to navigate but emotionally was there anything there that was was of use there was there was nothing there emotionally and bear in mind I lived in lived in Birmingham at the time so I would be up at four to be in the office for seven I would leave the office at seven and I'd be back home for about half nine ten so I was doing that every day and I'm and, 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 I, and I chose to do that. that that's fine but when appointments were there or where I needed to speak to someone about uh, time off that I might need or, or or as these things happen I get a last minute call or oh, we need you to come to the clinic can you come tomorrow that wasn't always convenient for for everybody at, at work and there was no emotional support for me everyone avoided the topic because I think they were afraid of saying the wrong thing rather than ask me oh we don't know this can you tell us they felt like they wanted to hold the knowledge and 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 I'm cool with them not knowing everything. That's fine. But I think they were just far too afraid of, of saying the wrong thing that they chose to say nothing. And that's where I needed some more support because, you know, I was distracted and I didn't want them thinking it was, oh, here we go. 
he's thinking of having kids now, his, his mind's off the game. And that, that was the pressure that I had on me. And then at that point, I realized what it's been like for women forever when they choose to have children, regardless of, of the, the way they choose to yeah. create their family. That was when I realized a, a real eye opener for me that this is privileged position as being a man, then seeing this, having my, my work criticized and my commitment to the organization criticized because I chose to have children that questioning and and ultimately you left and one of the issues that we we put into our kind of pitch is that you're going to lose good talent and we want to retain good talent and and, mm. and support them mm -hmm. totally and 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 I think knowing what I know now and realizing how precious fertility support is and fertility and workplace benefits are now the you know and this is the difference the stark difference to the US millennials and Generation Z, they ask at the point of interview what fertility benefits are in place. And they will make a decision and choose an employer based on that now, because especially in the tech world where talent is really rare, the fertility benefits are there now the latest form of benefits that are really retaining staff. And um, I totally understand that. And, and once an employer gets their head around that this isn't necessarily about losing their staff to go on mat leave or shed parental leave, this is about keeping them for a much longer term because they're so well supported that that's what people are discovering now. And that's really powerful. Yeah. So let's talk about what employers need to specifically know about the LGBTQ plus family building experience when it comes to the support, the policy, the, the cultural change, the language used. Yeah. Um, well, I think one of the, the main stark differences is that 77% of people aged between 18 and 35 from the LGBT community are either already parents or considering to be one, and their preference of building a family is through reproductive medicine. So that's 40% more than our elders that would usually choose adoption or fostering or, or, or co-parent. So what that means is that a, a new generation of parents are choosing IVF or IUI or surrogacy as a way to have a family. And that's going to put or could put pressure on a workplace if they're not supporting their employees effectively. So that's firstly, that's the, the main change yeah. that we've seen. Um, and then secondly, the number of fertility clinics now that are finally getting their act together and having better LGBTQ pathways and better ways to support people. And, and that's some of the work that we've been doing through Two Dads UK in supporting clinics better to approach our community and support them better with emotional support. We've definitely seen organizations like LGBT's mummy uh, and ours and some of the closed Facebook groups get used more and now people know that there is a community out there that can support our community better because whether we like it or not we live in a very heteronormative world and we're still not there yet with making healthcare and accesses and, and equitable fertility care on the NHS even fair. So we've still got a long way to go to, to, to crack that one, but we're definitely seeing more and more people from our community 
whether they're gay or lesbian or non-binary or trans and need fertility preservation, there is better information now signposting more appropriate support for us. So in terms of what you would like to see recognised, maybe a few pointers that you think are key for a workplace policy. I think wording is really key, okay? And um, gender neutral language is really important. We, uh, you know, we took that decision four years ago to make sure that all of our wording was gender neutral and all of our pronouns on all of our signatures. And again, um, if you don't know, ask. And when someone doesn't quite understand pronouns, for example, then just ask them how they how they want to be referenced. Don't, don't be afraid of, of approaching topics like that. So I think language is, is, is really important. Again, there's various ways to build a family from our community. So don't be or don't assume that that person's going to adopt just because they're gay. Um, that was the assumption for me, you know, uh, you know, I was even asked by HR, well, just adopt, it's so much easier. Well, um, we also know those two words, just and adopt, <laughs> don't go together. No, they... they, they it's not a simple process. It's not that simple. And it's, it's really challenging when you're a gay man to adopt. As you know, my brother was unsuccessful. He's gay in adopting. I have a friend who's unsuccessful as well. It's yeah, just not a case of just adopt, you know, and, and that's really insensitive. And, and I chose not to want to adopt. I chose to, to have a family this way. Um, but I get that surrogacy is quite technical and, you know, a lot of people don't understand it. But again, ask. We can signpost some great information. There's some amazing resources out there. Some of the gov.uk information is really, really good. And there's some great Department of Health and Social Care policy on, on that. So again, don't assume the, the route to parenthood someone's going to go through. And again, in a lot of a lot of my work that I was doing with my employer at the time, they just referenced adoption leave, adoption leave, adoption leave, because surrogacy falls under a very similar pathway. But I just kept saying to my employer, can we call it something different? Can we, can we, you know, for me, surrogacy, my journey is a real celebratory path to parenthood. So can we just reference surrogacy once, please, and not keep saying I'm on adoption leave when people ask us? you know, that's not what I'm doing. Mm. Um, and yeah, again, just by listening to the the person going on leave, just see what it is that that's going to make them feel supported. I didn't get emotional support, but asking me what were my needs would be really important. Um, the number of appointments I had to attend in my own time um, was, was significant. And we were lucky, our first round of IVF, um, was successful but I went to every appointment that Caroline our surrogate went to no different than if I was heterosexual and my partner was going through treatment I I wanted to be at it but again to be told but you're not having the treatment your surrogate is why do you want to be there well I wanted to be at the point when our child was conceived and, and, and was put back into our surrogate and again a, a lack of understanding of the entire process. That there was no empathy. There was a lot of curiosity, but it, it almost felt a bit mimicked. Again, because what I was doing was brand new to a lot of people, and it was like, really, you you want? Are you sure you want to do this? Do you, you know? And uh, that kind of took the shine off it, and could have really been saved if they'd have just 
dared to dive a bit deeper and learn more. And since you've been doing what you've been doing with My Surrogacy Journey and you've obviously got the show, well, I say obviously, we'll put all the details of uh, all the things that Mike is doing. In fact, he, he is profiled in our membership. You're obviously talking to many more people now and I'm curious if there are good and bad examples of when workplace support has been done well that or, or not that, that, you've, um, that you can share with us. Yeah, of course. So from a Two Dads UK point of view, the support that we offer there is very much signposting to, to credible advice and support. And we've supported 325 men become parents since 2016. That's been great. That's been very low touch in terms of the pathways that we look at. With my surrogacy journey, we're currently supporting 78 couples. Um, and in our pathway, support when it comes to workplace is, is built in. Um, we're, at a, we're at a point in our um, the age of our organisation where we are now getting to a lot of those points where conversations are being had. And it's still really disappointing the number of awkward, and it shouldn't be awkward, conversations that people say, oh, we've, I've, you know, my employer's asking to see um, the, the surrogacy policy for the hospital. And I'm like, well, you don't, they don't need to see that. Why, why do they want to see that? Do they want to learn about surrogacy? Or, uh, well, they, they're they just not sure about it was the response. And I'm like, well, I don't need to be that sure, but yeah, by all means. And we, what we then do is we can signpost uh, resource information and, you know, your organisation is, is one of those that we, we obviously reference. Um, but I think it's still disappointing the number especially for um, LGBTQ people. The, our membership is very 50-50. So half of our members are heterosexual people going through surrogacy. And the questions are less so of them, mm -hmm. um, which surprises me, um, but more so then on uh, the, the, the gay men that are going through this and their employers just not quite getting it are the words that get used. So there's still a lot to do, Natalie. There's, there's, a, there's a, a shed load of stuff still to happen. Um, I, I also, to interrupt you, but I remember something really poignant that you shared with me in the past where you've said about how when you have to have these conversations in the workplace and, and just in life um, about wanting to become a parent as a gay man that you're kind of in essence having to come out. Yeah, for sure. Time. And I think HR and just organisations understanding that as a, an another emotional layer to this mm -hmm. is really important, isn't it? And, it? and that's really triggering for a lot of people. You know, coming out is probably one of the, certainly when you're of my generation, one of the most difficult things that you ever have to do in life. Um, less so for, for millennials and Generation Z, but, but certainly my generation. So anyone that's sort of 35 plus because that was quite painful potentially and then to having to do that at, at work in an environment which sometimes isn't closed and not private and you may not be out at work you know we're supporting several couples where they're in businesses that they're not out so to then having to bear all of that as well potentially is also one triggering and, and and two you know quite an upsetting and potentially dangerous time for that member of staff as well so it's it's about understanding the situation of of that person 
going through treatment and not assuming that everyone that wants children is heterosexual or coupled. You know, there's yeah. a lot of single people doing doing surrogacy journeys too. So just on that, if there's somebody in the workplace who doesn't want to divulge, because we talk about infertility in the kind of heterosexual way of you not wanting to disclose that you're even going through it. So you're now adding a double layer that you don't want to have to say that there's the family building and talking about your sexuality. So from an emotional point of view from the person, but also from the organisation to try and create that safe space. I know that's quite a loaded question, but how could an organisation try and help that when nothing's been said? You know, if they're totally in the dark, but this they, just to have that awareness this is, that this might be going on, what would be an ideal thing to hear or read or see something on your intranet, you know, somewhere you could go to in your workplace? I think it would be really important to have credible organizations signposted with with tailored support for that individual and whether it's a national body or or a regulatory body or even a, a community group that is has been created for that community whether whether it's gay women um, gay men trans and non-binary people um, just knowing that you have a safe space on the internet to go to. That in itself would be really comforting to see because not only is your employer acknowledging that not every employee is heterosexual, mm. you then know that if you do need to reach out to someone confidentially um, or speak to someone with lived experience, that you can also do that. Because that's part of the problem is not knowing what you don't know, as you said earlier in your opening. And being introduced to communities of where people have gone on that journey you can ask then all of those other questions and how, how did you get on and what support do you think i might need and how challenging was was x y and z that would be a, a huge help for someone and are you hearing from your community because we we're always talking in the corporate space around diversity and inclusion and you know there being more of an, a focus on this are you hearing that people are finding that more yeah people are in the bigger organizations yeah. um and it's it's definitely more common in London, but you know you and I don't live in London, so yeah. you know when you work at, on the outskirts and you work in the non-tech or non-creative sectors, such as environments which are quite masculine and you know traditional, traditional that that is less of a of a priority and therefore zero support. So we it depends who you talk to and, and where they're based there's that lottery that postcode lottery of support unfortunately and that definitely is is something that needs to be tackled and just finally when you're talking to organizations and it's a kind of similar conversation that we're having with like the fertility in, in the workplace conversation that they're a hesitancy or a, a fear of saying the wrong thing and what we're trying to do collectively, you you and, and us, is, is guide people and support people and almost ha hold their hand in having these conversations. And are you finding that once people just have a few tools that they can start to understand things better, that they are getting more confident about having these conversations? And ultimately, the knock-on effect, the ripple effect, is that their organisations benefit as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that that's where it has to start. And, and, and I'm not saying or suggesting for one minute that everyone should know everything and have everything from day yeah. dot. They shouldn't. That's but, an ideal world if we ever got there. But speak to your employees, you know, find out 
you know, survey them and understand how many of them are from the community and then learn, you know, you, what materials would they like to see? What would they like to see on their intranet? Um, and don't be afraid to talk about uh, or getting to know these employees better because that's when, you know, topics maybe around family building might come up or what someone's desires or interests are. That's That's where we need to aim towards, but not being afraid to engage in a conversation that you don't know the answer to isn't a problem just be honest with the person you're talking to and then you'll find they'll open up far more than you pretending you know and then getting it wrong we don't we don't mind if you get it wrong but just let's let's just all agree that we all need to learn about it yeah every day's a school day totally i mean i've spoken with mike quite a few times on the podcast and also doing that f word at work we've had him speak on panels with us absolutely matters at work because he's so brilliant at articulating what he went through. We've also had him support some of our clients, raise awareness within the LGBTQ plus community about the the many hurdles that that community have to overcome. And I just want to talk a bit about some of the key takeaways. One thing that I always found so prominent from hearing Mike say it was that whole realization that somebody within that community is potentially coming out at work for the first time and how triggering that is. And I thought the way that Mike describes what it was like for his generation, it's becoming more accepted for people who are of younger generations. What did you take from what he said? My overriding takeaway from when Mike was speaking was the fact that everybody in his work environment just couldn't quite believe that he wanted a baby with his husband. And I think he he poignantly uh, points out about toxic masculinity within his work environment which was quite prominent however I think reflecting on what he said the thing that really stuck with me was the fact that he just wanted someone to ask him what he wanted I think this is a key element of everything we do with fertility matters every single conversation we have and every single nuance of the actual subject nobody asked him what he wanted and nobody asked those questions and we learn through questions and we learn from having natural curiosity. It was just projected on him, wasn't it? Like, why would you be doing this? You know, what we're yeah. busy. Could you do it later? It's There's not a lot right of opinion. There, yeah. yeah, there was a lot of opinion, but with only half the side of the story. So no one actually took the time to sit down. And to me, that's a basic employee engagement skill. That's just knowing your audience and also the recognition that times change. So you're in a business any business will evolve and change and the people around you and your workforce changes. So invariably when um, same-sex marriage became legal around the time where this happened, you know, businesses should have been prepared for that to be a conversation, but they just weren't. I suppose there's the argument that they just didn't know what to be prepared for. And sadly in 2023 that we're now in, you're seeing firsthand glaring issues really with the treatment of people who are going down this surrogacy path. And for for you, if you've never really thought about this and understand the kind of terminology, people who are going on their parenthood journey um, through surrogacy are, are referred to as intended parents or IPs. So we're going to refer to them as IPs as we explain the work we're doing because at Fertility Matters at Work, we're partnered with My Surrogacy Journey, which is Mike and Wes's organisation. And Claire has been leading an, an amazing element of support just highlight what you've been doing for some of those IPs. 
So Wes introduces me to IPs who are having work issues, whether they're they're small or significant work issues. And I talk to them from a HR perspective to understand what those challenges are and how I can help. There's a common theme that runs through these conversations, though, and that is lack of awareness within the organisation. That, to me, is just the one thing that we're still not equipped for. So I know you said in 2023 we should be but we're not. And this is pretty much 10 years on from Mike and Wes's own journey, which is a little bit scary. You know, we're significantly advanced in a lot of stuff in this realm and in this conversation, but IPs are not even mentioned in most of the policies and most of the um, documents I see in workplaces now, which is really scary. So what needs to change? And if you're listening, thinking, gosh, I haven't even considered this, this is part of our mission at Fertility Matters at Work so that you know that you can come to us and we can navigate you through all that needs to be considered when you are supporting people's path to parenthood. What would you say, Claire, from the taster you've had, which hasn't been, it's been, I know it's been hugely enlightening, but it's been frustrating, hasn't it, that there has been this repetition in what's missing? Yeah, I mean, to me, I'll I'll just revert back to what Mike said about being asked. So, there are organisations that stand there very proud and say we we support our LGBTQ plus communities. But I think that conversation hasn't got deep enough into what people need and, and what their how their working lives and their lives integrate. And I, the lack of people talking about IPs in any sort of guidance or policy is just I think the surface of this I mean it wouldn't surprise me actually if there were more people out there who were maybe listening to this who'd had that same experience with work very very recently um there are IPs I speak to that say their workplaces are just not equipped to have these conversations and again revert back to what Mike said we need some natural curiosity around this and actually somebody to stand there and ask the question of their workforce and say what is it we're missing here because they can fill in that gap for them we know that the people within the LGBTQ plus community who we've worked with, who are kind of trailblazing on this issue, yeah. they're often the ones having to educate. And if we're talking about this in a way that the person who is going through it isn't being asked those questions, what guidance would you say to them in terms of starting the conversation? I think there's a lot of really great staff networks. There's a lot of lines into management now that didn't exist even 10 years ago. Um, You know, there are companies that have ideas capture, that they have forums that involve different um, members of the workforce. Just raise it there, raise it anonymously if you can, or go to your line manager, use your appraisal or any sort of supervision or one-to-one to raise it and just say, look, this is a key issue for me and I'd really like to see it on the workplace agenda of of my organisation, wherever that may be. And can you just give an example of the kind of language that's being used that is wrong? Yes, the word adoption. Now, I do know that this is heavily reliant on employment legislation. So, you know, it's not anybody's fault as such, but I've seen people who are going through surrogacy being signposted towards adoption leave policies and adoption leave forms. And actually, you're not adopting a child, you are having your own biological child. It's just because you're in a same-sex couple, especially male, you can't physically or biologically do that. Lack of uh, the term intended parents is another significant one for me. It's it, it generally will say, policies generally say mother or father, so it's very heteronormative. So we need to be really thinking about that inclusive language and that awareness of what surrogacy actually means, which I think the perception is isn't right in the narrative around society today, is it? 
Yeah, and I think even the term surrogacy is it fills people with fear, and I I just don't know why. It's almost as if it's this hidden thing that's been going on that people haven't wanted to acknowledge for a million and one different reasons. But you know, we know that surrogacy arrangements have tripled in the last ten years, so we know that this is um, being used a lot more by people to have a baby. So we shouldn't be surprised, really, that more and more people are putting their hands up saying, "I'm going down a surrogacy arrangement to have my child." But we know as well, it's really important. This is not just for same-sex couples. Yeah, there are other reasons that women can't carry a pregnancy. So we need to be wholly inclusive when we have this conversation. So it's just making the language just recognize that there's there's different people involved in this. The absence of the word surrogacy in any policy signals to a wider organization that it isn't even recognized or valid, and that can cause um, pressure and unnecessary upset for people. And we know, I was on a stage next to you at the Modern Family Show, which is Mike and Wes's baby that they're taking around the globe. And with you explaining that, I saw a couple in the audience who couldn't believe it that they were eligible for what they felt that they just have yeah. a chance to, to to talk about because you were literally explaining that it's it's down to the language that is missing. Yeah, there's a couple of people actually recently have emailed and said, Oh, I'm at I think one one person actually was emailed to say, Oh, because your surrogate's taking maternity leave, you're not entitled to anything. And I'm just like, this is absolutely batty, you know. And and actually, we say this all the time, you don't know what you don't know. So if you're yeah. told that by your employer, you are going to walk away and go, okay, and accept it. And it's actually wrong. Yeah. So hopefully that has got you thinking. If you are looking to be a truly inclusive organization and you're looking at the whole fertility conversation. Come and have a chat with us. All the details will be in the show notes about how we can talk and explain all the different elements. And we don't expect it to happen overnight. This is a process. But like I say, the details will be in the show notes. We'll also put the details of Michael Wes's organisations as well, if you'd like to know more about what they do. Claire, thank you so much, as always, for sharing your wisdom on a Sunday evening. Thank you. And if you haven't yet subscribed, please do so in wherever you listen to your podcast. Just hitting that follow button says to somebody else that this is worth their ear holes. And we really want to spread the word. If you are trying to look at the workplace wellbeing strategy within your organization, if you're in HR, if you're in DNI, and that inclusion conversation is really important to you, then we really would love to be able to explore it further with you. Thank you as always for listening. Do follow us on our socials at Fertility Matters at Work on Instagram and LinkedIn. It's where we share the free events that we have as well as survey findings and lots of interesting conversations from our community. We're at Fert Matters Work on Twitter. Plus, we've got loads of free resources at fertilitymattersatwork.com. If from what we've shared with you, you feel ready to talk more about how your organisation can become fertility friendly, do book a call via the website link. It will be great to hear from you. 